about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing? You guys ready to kick off the Christmas season? Is it too early? Is it okay? We're into the Advent season. Here we go. I want to make sure today that, that we're remembering the real reason for the season, but let's start with a movie. It's my favorite Christmas movie of all time. How many of you watch It's a Wonderful Life every year? You just got to do it. Just got to find it somewhere in there. It's the story of you know, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, 1946, way before I was born. Way. Okay, a few minutes before I was born. Uh, George Bailey, of course, grew up in this little town called uh, Bedford Falls, and he dreams all his life of getting out of that little hick town. But sure enough, as he, as he grows up, his little brother goes off to war. He's stuck leading the, the building and, and loan uh, association. His brother says, when I get back from the war, I'll take over and you can go to the city. Well, his brother becomes a war hero and winds up getting a big offer in the big city. So he never comes back. George is stuck. And eventually comes to a midlife crisis when the building and loan is in crisis. And he decides the world would be better off if I had never been born. And you know, I hope none of you have ever been there before, but we all know people that have been in those depressed states. So he winds up on this bridge and in the snow, and he meets Clarence, a second-class angel who has no wings yet. And, but Clarence apparently has the ability to show George Bailey what life would have been like in Bedford Falls if, in fact, he had never been born. And he goes through this whole litany of things where his little brother Harry would not have been a war hero. Hundreds of soldiers would not have been saved because Harry would have died in the ice when he was a kid if George had not been there to save him. On and on it goes. Until he finally realizes, in fact, that one life can make a difference in the world. In fact, every one of us, every one of us, look at somebody and say, he's talking about you. Every one of us makes a profound difference in the lives of people that we know and don't even know about. There is this ripple effect from our lives that quite often we don't even know about this side of eternity. So we're kicking off Christmas by talking about this idea, just taking a fresh look at Christmas again and looking at it through that lens of what would life be like if 
this person had not been born, if Joseph had never been born, if Mary had never been born, if the child had not been born in the stable. There's actually a whole discipline out there of people. They call themselves alternative historians. Uh, If you've ever got nothing else to do, you want to read that, look it up. They love to play out the scenarios. What, what uh, What would America be like if the Confederacy had won the war, for instance? What if, what if John Wilkes Booth had missed? How, what, what would be different? If Adolf Hitler had won uh, World War II, what, what would the world be like? Dr. D. James Kennedy a few years ago got a hold of that idea, and he started digging into that, and he simply began to ask the question, well, what would the world be like if Jesus had never been born? And he comes up with some fascinating things. There's a book out there on that subject. I mean, what if the angelic host had not shown up that night and sung to the shepherds? What if there had not been a star in the sky for the wise men to follow? What if that child had not been born in a stable so long ago? How would the world be different? I mean, think about it for just a minute. How would the world be different if Jesus had never been born? One obvious difference that comes to mind for me is the calendar. Every time you write a check, guess what you're doing? You're establishing the reality that all of history is divided between before Jesus came and since he came. Every atheist on the planet has to be reminded of how important Jesus is every time he writes a check. I love that. Yes, say cha-ching. But there's some less obvious ways. I'm gonna, I don't want to turn this into a history lesson, but let's just take a couple of minutes because there's some less obvious ways that the world is in fact different because Jesus came. And then I want to lean into the more important question is how is your life different because Jesus has come. But let's just rehearse for a minute history if we can. How about the role of women in society? Is the role of women in society different because of Jesus? The fact of the matter is Jesus entered into a world where women were somewhere between their husband and a slave. They were, they were considered property by their husbands in his world. Ancient Rome uh, says they were, they were not able to survive without a husband or a father. They were not uh, an entity of themselves. And, but what did Jesus teach? I mean, so many things he taught about that. But here's a, a good example of Jesus' philosophy. John 8, 7 uh, says, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. The story that he's talking about is a woman who'd been caught in adultery, and these men have gathered. They're going to stone her for that adultery typical of that time. They let the man go like he wasn't doing it, but you know, they're going to kill her. And what did Jesus do? Anybody know the story? He shamed the man and then told the woman, I didn't come here to condemn you. I came here to help you get free from that sin. Don't keep doing what you're doing. Jesus changed the world for women. In India, right up until the early 20th century, when a man died, when a husband died, the wife was buried with her husband. And if he was burned in a funeral pyre, she was burned alive with him right into the earliest 20th century. And it was only Christian missionaries that came and began to get them to change that practice. When Jesus came, everything began to change. For women, no figure in history has ever elevated the status of women like Jesus has. Perhaps the biggest is that God could have sent his son uh, to the world by any host of means, but he chose to send him as a baby to Mary, the highest honor perhaps of all to be the mother of the child of God. So the role of women has changed. How about the role of children? How about the value of children? Has, has that changed because Jesus came? In Jesus' day, infanticide was common practice. If parents didn't want a child, they'd leave it in the woods. 
It was just pretty common practice in those days. Babies with birth defects were almost always abandoned. And in fact, in Rome, children were property of their fathers until they turned eight. And so a father could do whatever he wanted to for the first eight years. He could sell the child into slavery. He could kill the child. In fact, the half of children in Rome didn't make it past year eight in Jesus' day. That's the world that Jesus came into when he said in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, or it was said of him by Mark, then Jesus took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. This is the world where people just kind of throw children away and now Jesus is taking the time to pull them up in his life. Even his own disciples said, we ain't got time for these kids. We got important ministry to do. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? This is the kingdom of heaven. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus coming, everything began to change for children. In fact, it became common for Christians to begin to adopt those abandoned babies, even during Jesus' day. Uh, Orphanages and nurseries began to form all over the world because of Jesus. Is race relations different because Jesus came? Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on? It's profoundly different. In a day when nationalism and tribalism and ethnic prejudice was perhaps at the highest point of all in history, Jesus was the original uniter across ethnic lines. He described a Roman soldier as having more faith than all of Israel. He healed a Canaanite woman. He delivered a Gentile from from demons. But the most profound example that we know of is the day that he went to Samaria, which most Jews wouldn't do. They'd walk around, but he went straight there and he ministered to a Samaritan woman. And not only did he help her come into relationship with him, but he turned her into his primary evangelist. She went into town, got the whole town out to meet Jesus. Fast forward to the end of Jesus' time on earth, and you hear his prayer in John 17, just coming down to the end of his time, and he's praying this poignant prayer, knowing what's before him, uh, a night of illegal trials and beatings and ultimately the crucifixion. And he prayed, John 17, verse 20, my prayer is all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's not praying that we look alike, dress alike, sound alike, smell alike. He's saying we're different. There are different races, there are different cultures, there are different ethnicities, but we can still be unified in the person of Jesus Christ, and he's praying that that happens. 1953, three years before Martin Luther, even Martin Luther King even came on the, on the scene, 10 years before the Civil Rights Act, Billy Graham shocked the people of Chattanooga, Tennessee on the first night of a big crusade, filled the stadium up on the first night before the service began, Billy walked down and removed the rope that separated the whites from the blacks. Doesn't sound like too big a deal now, but it shocked the world that day. What was he saying? He's saying it's time that Jesus' prayer be answered. It's time that we come together in unity, that we recognize our diversity, that we respect one another's cultural uniqueness, at the same time come together under the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting there isn't a lot to do in our country about race relations, but I'm saying that whatever has been done is largely because Jesus came. 
that he set the stage for that. And I'll just, I'll just be direct with you. In fact, I'll put it on the screen because I want you to see it. You may even want to put that out there in the world for people to consider and, and feed back on. I'm convinced that the races that make up our country will not come together until the races that make up the body of Christ come together. Come on. I ain't got time to dig into that one. We can spend a month on that one, but that's the reality of it. We've got to figure out a way under the person of Jesus Christ to unite. That's what he prayed for in those last days. The bottom line is that according to Revelation 5, one day every uh, tribe and every nation and every tongue will come together around the throne of God and bring glory to him. I'm just saying it ought to start now. Find ways to sing worthy is the lamb together. Now, how about the needs of the poor? Has is, is that been affected because Jesus came? In the days before Jesus, the poor were, by and large, made the slaves of the rich. That's just the reality. And then the apostle Paul, follower of Jesus Christ, comes along, and he wins a slave named Onesimus uh, to Jesus. He helps Onesimus to break free from the sin of his own life. He stole from his slave master, and he sends him back to the slave master, puts his own reputation on the line, puts literally his own life on the line, and says, Philemon, you owe me. I need you to forgive this guy and treat him like a son. That's unheard of in that world. It all came because of Jesus. Fast forward. Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity and Salvation Army and, and Compassion International and Samaritan's Purse and, and Bridge to Hope and the Soup Kitchen and the Bridge and so many things that are going on around the world are inspired by Jesus' words, Matthew 25, 40. I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me, Jesus said. George Gallup did some research not too long ago came to the conclusion that $19 billion is spent every year in America in the name of Jesus Christ for the poor. He had another $6 billion, they said, in labor every year given for the poor in the name of Jesus Christ. The plight of the poor is a reality, but it's changing because Jesus came. Because Jesus came. Closely akin to that is the care to the sick. It was Christianity that started the first hospitals for the common man. Up until that point, the only people that got medical care were the rich people, people that could really afford it. And then Jesus comes along, and they start hospitals. And in 325 A.D., the Nicene Council, which was the early gathering of the church fathers, came out with a statement from that council meeting, and they said, for every church we start, we will start a hospital for the common man. Hospitals begin to spring up all over the world. So from Florence Nightingale to Dr. Louis Pasteur, list of Christians that have made medical advances are, are, are amazing, and it all is because Jesus Christ came to earth. Next time somebody gives Christianity a bad rap, remind them of how the world has changed because Jesus came. How about the birth of science? Some people would have you believe that, that science uh, is in conflict with faith. But the reality is that true science and true faith are, are not incompatible because God invented them both. Who do you think thought up one plus one equals two? Who do you think came up with that? 
There, there is no conflict between faith and science if it is true science. Now, scientific theory, there's a lot of those out there, and I'll just say and move on that if, if you choose to believe in, in evolution, then that's your choice, but I would challenge you to be intellectually uh, uh, courageous about it and at least admit that it's not science, it's faith. It's a faith leap to believe that somehow randomly all the complexities of this world just kind of happened. That's a faith thing. That's not a science thing. So at least take it for what it is. The reality is uh, Isaac Newton, most famous for discovering gravity, put it this way. He said, when I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive proper amounts of heat and light. This did not happen by chance. This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. There is no conflict between pure science and the truth of God. It was Christians who brought that to light. Look through the history of science and you'll find Christians all over the place. Father of anesthetic, uh, anesthetic surgery, Joseph Lister was a profound, oh, pronounced Christian. Uh, the father of bacteriology, Louis Pasteur. Calculus, Isaac Newton. Chemistry, Robert Boyle. Computer science, Charles Babbage. These are, are, are pronounced Christians, very open about their own faith. Electronics, John Fleming. The list goes on and on and on. There is no conflict between science and faith when it is true science because God is the author of both. How about education? Did Jesus coming affect education? Yeah. 1445, the first uh, movable type printing press made it possible to mass produce printed pages. You know why they did that? So the, re so the world could read the Bible. That's the reason that all came into existence. Uh, Johannes Gutenberg said, hey, the, we've got the Bible translated in a language that people can understand. We've got to get out there for them to be able to, to read. In fact, studies were done way back when that established that countries that blocked the Bible, their literacy rate was at about 10%, and countries that received it, their literacy was often, literacy was often at 90%. Even the American public school system, lots of controversy there, but let's just go back to its origins. You know how the American public school system started? 1647, the Puritan law called the Old Deluder Satan Act said one of the chief projects of Satan is to keep man from reading the Bible. It is ordered by the court that every township within this jurisdiction shall then forthwith appoint one within their town to teach all the children to read and write whose wages shall be paid. Why? So they could read the Bible. Freaks a lot of people out to believe that somehow the public school system in America started so our citizens could read the Bible. And now you've got to be kind of sneaky if you slip some scripture in along the way. Thomas Jefferson, who, who supposedly was famous for this separation of church and state thing, when he was superintendent of schools in Washington, D.C., he required two textbooks in every school in Washington, D.C. district, Watson's Reader and the Bible. But it didn't stop with elementary educated uh, kids. I don't know if you know this, but the first 123 colleges and universities in America was founded by Christians for Christian purposes. Harvard, Yale, Brown, Princeton, Northwestern University were all started by Christians to teach the Word of God. 
That's the reality because Jesus came. And not just in America. Again, I don't know if you know this, but most languages on the planet were originally studied, grammars were created, alphabets, written languages were created by Christian missionaries who wanted them to be able to read the Word of God. And that's not just an ancient practice. One of the missionary couples that we support as a church is Jason and Christina Skuring. And they're right now in the Amazon River Basin. Their parents translated or created the language of the YAP people, translated the New Testament into YAP, uh, and now Jason and Christina, who grew up there with their parents translating, translating Scripture, have married. They have a child. They're now fourth generation living in the Amazon River Basin, teaching these people the Word of God, and churches are beginning to spread. And other villages are beginning to come and say, we've been hearing about your God. We want to know about your God. Can you tell us? Well, as a matter of fact, we have a digital recorder with a Bible recorded on it. You can listen to the Scriptures even though you haven't learned to read yet. See, so that's going on in the world today. Because Jesus came so long ago. Women, children, racial tensions, the poor, the sick, education. I could keep going. Let's just land on this one, the forming of our nation. Truth is, if Jesus had not been born, the United States of America would not exist as we know it today. Ten years or so after Christopher Columbus landed, he wrote these words. It was the Lord who put it in my mind to sail to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter. There is no question the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, said the birth of our nation is indissolubly, easy for you to say, not me, linked to the birthday of our Savior. 1620. The pilgrims landed, sat in the captain's cabin, and wrote a document that history books like to call the Mayflower Compact, but they called it the Birth Certificate of America. Here's what they said. We whose names are undersigned, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Soon after that, wave after wave of Christians came in 1643, they formed a covenant called the New England Federation, and that original covenant said, we all come into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can say the foundations of America were not Christian, but that just doesn't hold up against the facts. 52 of 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Christians. The battle cry during the Revolutionary War, breaking free from the kingdom of England, was no king but King Jesus. One of the great ironies of our times is the people who speak out against Jesus would have to be silenced were it not for Christians who helped to form a nation that gives them the right to speak out against Jesus. Does that stick in your craw? I, you know, I got to move on, but hear me, guys. If Jesus had never been born, the, the, the role of women, the, the value of children, race relations in the world, the needs of the poor, care for the sick, 
the birth of science, the development of education, the very formation of our nation would be profoundly different. But that's not what I came here on this first Sunday of Advent to talk to you about. Because at the end of the day, it really isn't about whether Jesus coming changed the world, is it? We came here to say, how did Jesus coming change my world? How am I different? What's going on in my life because Jesus came? What benefits and values are there accrued to me because Jesus came? Let me just mention three. And I want you to consider. I want you to reflect. I want you to give some thought. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. You that are watching online, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. No doubt in a room like this on a day like this and and an audience across the world, there are people who have walked in deep, intimate relationship for decades. There are others that are just investigating whether or not they believe this stuff is true and everything in between. But wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I want you to think about these three things about Jesus because his coming makes three things very possible for you, and I hope you'll lean into them during this Christmas season. First of all, because Jesus was born, I can call him friend. Proverbs 18, 24, there are friends who pretend to be friends, but there's a friend, come on, read it with me, who sticks closer than a brother. No matter what you're going through, no matter what life throws at you, no matter what hardships there may be in this world, tell me, speak to me, ask me, I'll be glad to tell you. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, and the world can be hard sometimes, but you never have to go through that alone. Come on. God is not a cosmic killjoy sitting on a throne a million miles away with a big stick ready to zap you if you mess up. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be closer than a brother. He wants to be engaged with you. Here's what he said, John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. We'll unpack this more during the Christmas season and during this series, but But hear me, you can go beyond knowing about Jesus and actually know him personally because Jesus was born so long ago. Huge part of what Christmas is is all about is just God wanted us to know him personally. Why, Why do you think he came in the form of an infant in a cradle? Because nobody's intimidated by a baby. I mean, he could have come in all kinds of forms. But he came in a form that we would not be intimidated by. In fact, we would be drawn to. Why? Because he wanted that friendship with us. Understand, Christmas is not about Jesus coming into existence. Jesus has been in existence from the beginning of time. John 1.1, before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He's always been alive and is himself God. Christmas is not about him coming into existence. Christmas is about him coming into your existence. Because he came, you can be friends, but more than friends, you can call him Savior. You can call him friend, but you can also call him Savior. Let's read this one aloud. I want you to read it with a little bit of pathos. I want you to put yourself in it. I like the way the message paraphrases it, so let's get into it. Come on, get your little drama thing going on. 
Put yourself in it. Let's read it together. I want, I want you to hear you reading it. Okay, here we go. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, come on, you can do better than that. Look at somebody and say, come on, let's get in this thing. Let's do this, do this. Come on. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we're utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Come on. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, come on, out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. Look at somebody say it was a gift, just a gift. It was free. It was a gift. Well, it wasn't free. It cost Jesus his life, but it's free to you. Here we go. Come on. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. Let's read that one again. That's a good one. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Can we just be honest with each other right now? It's just me and you for a minute, okay? Nobody's looking. We don't live up to our own standards, much less God's. At the end of the day, we look in the mirror and say, man, I blew that one again, didn't I? Oh, man, you'd think I'd get this right by now. Come on. Don't look at me like I'm the only one that's ever done that. I'm just the only one courageous enough to have a microphone and say it to you. Come on. It's the reality. We just, we just we mess up. We don't get it right. We, we fail to do things that we should have done, and we feel guilty about it later. Guilt is perhaps the number one emotion, human emotion, that we all have to deal with. It's, a, it's, a, it's an alarm that goes off in our system and says, this isn't right. You've got to deal with this. So if somehow you buy into the world's idea that, you know, the, well, yeah, sure, yeah, we, we, I, get, I get some of it right and I get some of it wrong, but, but I think I'm getting more right than wrong these days, so, so maybe God will let me in. I need, you to be under, I need you to understand something. It's accounted unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, everyone will give an account himself to God, the Bible says, when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you, an imperfect being, into my perfect heaven and mess it up? Give me an answer. Can I beg you not to say, well, yeah, I messed up a little bit, but I got more right than wrong? Because that's not the answer to get you in. Well, I don't know, Jim, I, I, you know, I messed up a little bit as a young man, a young woman, but I've been doing pretty good lately. Well, well think about this for a minute. It, it, if you were a baseball player and you batted 500 for your entire career, guess what will happen to you after your career? You will get inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Am I right? But batting 500 means that you messed up as often as you got a hit. That's an equal thing. So let's say that, that you played a 20-year career and batted 500 for 20 years, and by the world's standards, you're making it into the Hall of Fame. But in fact, we're going to a perfect place called heaven that requires perfection. So let's say that you, that you managed to play another 20 years. You had a 40-year career, and you batted 1,000 for the second set of 20 years. Let's say you played all the way to age 65 and batted 1,000 
for the second half of your career, what do you think your batting average would be when you finally retired at age 65? 984. You still ain't got to 1,000 because you've already had a few years at 500. If you live to be 165 and batted 1,000 after that first 20 years, what do you think your batting average is then? 999. Why? Because you done messed up. (laughs) And once you did it, you did it. Once imperfection is injected, imperfection is there. The simple reality is there has to be another answer. There has to be another way. And the good news is that there is. It's a gift from God. He did it for us. It's called grace. And we get to call him not just friend. We get to call him Savior. We get to call him the one who rescued us from ourselves. We get to be the one that says, yeah, because Jesus came. Everything's different for me, for now and forever. The cradle and the cross are forever linked, and I get the benefit for it. Anybody want to give a hand clap of thank you for that reality? Because of Jesus, you get a new a new life. You get a clean slate. You get a fresh start. Wipe the chalkboard off and start over again. And when you mess up again, I didn't say if, when you mess up again, he got you covered there too. It's called grace. We're going to spend six weeks this spring just talking about grace, what it means in our lives. And I'm really excited about that series. You've got to wait four months for it, but we're, I'm excited about it. Okay. But there's even better news than that. Because Jesus came, you get to call him friend. Because Jesus came, you get to call him savior. You get a fresh start in life. But this one might surprise you a little bit. It's just as important. Not only can I call him friend and savior, but I can call him Lord. And I know we don't use that word Lord very often these days. You know, we're kind of a kind of old school kind of word, but we're talking about who's in charge, right? We're talking about the CEO. We're talking about the big kahuna. We're talking about the boss. And, and you get to call him boss. Now, you may say, well, I, you know, that's, that's a little bit hard for me. I, I received him as savior, but you know, I kind of like being the captain of my own fate. You can't figure out where you want to go to lunch today and you be captain of your own fate. Right, yeah. So why is it good news that we can call him not just friend and savior, but we can call him the one in charge? You tell me if you relate to the Apostle Paul early in his Christian life, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 and 16. I do not understand what I do. Come on, let's read this one together. Let's get into it, okay? I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Can I get a witness in the house? It goes on to say in verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good. I just can't carry it out. Understand, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail about this. We will in time. 
But understand the difference in the Scriptures, the New Testament, between sin and sins. You are forgiven of your sins, those things that you committed that fall short of the glory of God, the holiness of God. We've all recognized that we do that. But there's still the sin principle in our lives that I want to be in charge. Hello, are you out there? I want to be in control. I want to make the rules. I want to do things my way. That sin principle is still there. It has to be dealt with. Until it is, guess what happens? You don't just have sins that need to be forgiven. You've got a sin factory that makes more and more and more. So that has to be dealt with. Otherwise, you're stuck where Paul was in Romans 7. I just don't get it. I try to do better, and nothing changes. It, it, it must not be me that's doing it. It must be the sin factory in me that's causing it, and I, I just can't seem to break free from that. Look at verse 24 and 5. What a wretched man that I am. How miserable and experienced this is, he's saying. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Read it with me out loud. One, two, three. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Understand, Paul had already been forgiven of his sins but he kept falling into his old pattern of sin. He needed Jesus at a higher level, at another place. And it's part of what Jesus prayed for in his last hours before he went to the cross for us. He didn't just pray, Lord, make them one. He prayed, sanctify them. Sanctify is a, it's become kind of this theological term that we don't fully understand sometimes, but it literally means, simply means, set apart, made clean. That, that's what it means. Set apart for service, made clean. Imagine with me, if you can, that, uh, that you invited me over for dinner one night, and I came. And uh, when I got there, you said, Pastor, we're so honored to have you in our home. We're excited that you're here. And uh, in fact, the last time you were here, the plate that you ate off of, we decided that we would, we would reserve that just for you. Nobody else eats on this plate. It has been set apart for service for you. It's yours. How do you think I would respond to that? Might be a little spooky, but other than that, <laughs> it'd be kind of, wow, that's, that's really cool. You, you reserve a plate just for me when I come over. That's kind of cool. And then you bring the plate out, and you set it down in front of me, and it still has bits of old dried food on it from the last time I ate off of it. Now, I've suddenly gone from honored to i got to get out of here, <laughs> Right? So it's one thing to be set apart for service. It's another thing to be made clean. And so, yes, you can call him friend. Tragically enough, there's an awful lot of people in churches all across this land that that's as far as they've gotten in their journey. They say, yeah, me and Jesus are friends. We're buds. Well, wonderful. Jesus came to make that possible. But don't stop there. Oh, he's become my Savior. He's forgiven me of my sins. I get a fresh start. Wonderful, but don't stop there because you're going to keep falling back into the old patterns and the abundant life that Jesus promised will always be just a, a little bit of an arm's reach away because you keep falling back into the old patterns. You need to pray that Jesus would become not just your friend, not just your Savior, but your Lord, your CEO, the one in charge, the one who deals with the sin factory in you, who changes your desires from sins to honoring the Savior, you're always going to be human. We're always going to 
humanity's going to get in the way of us getting it right, but something changes in your want to and your desire. And that's what Jesus prayed for us. I got to close this thing, but not until I kind of cement this in our hearts. As we enter into the Christmas season, the question is not, did Jesus change the world? Clearly, he did. So many ways we don't have time to talk about today, he, he changed the world profoundly. The real question, has Jesus coming into the world changed your life? And has he changed it in the way that is available to you? Not just friend, not just Savior, but Lord, our deepest desire for you here at the bridge is that you would walk in the abundant life, the fulfilling life that he promised, and that simply requires that you say, yes, Jesus came, and because he came, he is my friend, he is my Savior, he is my Lord. So here's, here's how I want to close this service. As I was thinking about it this week and praying about it and, and thinking about what, what's, what, at the end of the day, what point is it, Lord, that you really want me to make to our church family, both in the room and online. What is the point that, that you really want me to make, Lord? And, and, and here's what's resonant. It's, it's cliche, but it's still true. Just remind them that Jesus is the reason for the season. Just remind them that, that of all the stuff and the trappings and the parties and the gifts and the decorations and <coughs> the busyness and the craziness and all the stuff that's associated with Christmas, that at the end of the day, Jesus is the reason for the season. And because he came, you can call him friend, you can call him Savior, you can call him Lord. In fact, there are probably a hundred names in Scripture for Jesus that you can call him legitimately. So I'm just going to read some of them to you. I want you to think about each one of these names. I'm going to do it quickly, but think about them for a moment. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning as we close this service. When you hear one of the names of Jesus that resonates in your spirit, when I say one of the names from Scripture that's attributed to Jesus Christ, and you say, yeah, that's, that's who he is for me, then I want you to stand to your feet. Would you do that? Just all across the room. When you get to a name that said, well, that's mine, Stand to your feet and then remain standing. We'll close the service together, okay? You ready? This is just a few of them in alphabetical order. Almighty One, Alpha and Omega, our advocate, the author and perfecter of our faith, the authority, the bread of life, the beloved Son of God, the bridegroom, the bright and morning star, the chief cornerstone, our deliverer, faithful and true, friend, good shepherd, great high priest, head of the church, holy servant, the I am, Emmanuel, God with us, indescribable gift, judge, king of kings, lord of lords, Lamb of God, light of the world, lily of the valley, lion of the tribe of Judah, 
Lord of all, mediator, Messiah, mighty one, the one who sets us free, our hope, our peace, our prophet, our redeemer, our risen Lord, our rock, our rose of Sharon, our ruler of all creation, sacrifice for our sins, our Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, Son of the Most High, soon coming King, supreme ruler over all, the resurrection and the life, the door, the way, the truth, the life, the true vine, the victorious one, wonderful counselor, master, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his name is Jesus, and he is our friend and our Savior and our Lord, and he's worthy of praise in this house and across this land. In Jesus' name, give him praise, church. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen and amen. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he's worthy of our praise. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ so long ago for the express purpose of connecting with us of renewing the relationship that you created us for to be an intimate friendship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. I call you friend. Can I pause? If you're here today or you're watching online and you're not absolutely sure that you can call him friend, maybe there's something in your life that makes you nervous to look him in the eye. Would you pray a simple prayer with me right now? Jesus, I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I want to sense your presence in my life. I want to know the reality of you being my friend. Would you help me to take a step toward you today? Thank you, Jesus. Not only do we get to call him friend, we get to call him Savior that day. Those days when we came to him and said, man, I messed it up again. I blew it again. I failed to do what I should have done again. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. You said if we'll confess, you'll forgive, and we believe you. If you're listening today and you're struggling to call him your Savior, don't go another step until you do. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Give me a fresh start today. Let this Christmas season be the most amazing of all because I'm doing it with you, not just as friend, but as Savior. And then if you're struggling to break free from some of the old patterns and the old junk that's been holding you back and you're ready to break free from that, you're ready to say, I don't just need relief from my sins. I don't just need relief from my guilt. I need someone in charge who can help me change these patterns in my life. 
Because I want to be free from them. Would you pray a simple prayer? Jesus, would you be my Lord? Would you be in charge? Would you climb up on the throne of my heart? No king for me but King Jesus. Sanctify me by your truth. Your word is truth. Give me a fresh start today based not only in forgiveness of sin, but the power to overcome sin. Thank you, Jesus, for making those things available. Lord, as we just pause in the quietness of this moment and reflect on our lives to this point and how they are different and how they can be different moving forward simply because you came, help us to reflect on the lives of the people that we touch, the ripple effect of our lives, because Jesus came into our world, they're going to be blessed too. Would you pray that prayer with me? You know, Lord, across this room, there are husbands and wives and children and parents and siblings and neighbors and co-workers, people we don't even know yet whose lives are affected because of the way we live our lives. And we need you to give us just a glimpse into not only how our lives can be different because of you, but how we can help others to know you too. Help us to live a life that honors you and helps them at the same time. In Jesus' name, Father, go with us from this place. As we enter into this Advent season, be glorified in who we are as individuals, as families, as a church. Let your name be glorified in it at all. In Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open, guys. If you want to pray with somebody before you leave, you just want to seal a commitment in your heart with somebody to pray in agreement, come down before you leave. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. We'll keep this series going.